Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining us for our CIO Strategy Snapshot conversation on this Halloween Monday, glad to welcome back Jason Trejo, the Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Jason, thank you very much for dropping by. I know we have a busy week ahead with corporate earnings, the Fed meeting. We have the employment report coming out later in the week. So a lot to catch up on. Thank you for being here. Good morning, Dan. Yes, happy Monday and happy Halloween. So, Jason, just to level set a bit, maybe we can talk about the recent run-up in risk assets and the investor sentiment we've been seeing. We've spoken in recent weeks about the prospects for achieving a bottom in the markets. Interestingly enough, as I alluded to last week, did deliver investors some momentum to the upside. We did see that with a big rally to cap off the week on Friday. And this is following what has been, generally speaking, a volatile period in the market. So, Jason, and from what you can gather, what's exactly behind this recent shift in investor sentiment? Would you characterize it as maybe a short-term bounce, or is there perhaps something more to it which could be indicative of a fundamental shift in sentiment? Well, let's first put in perspective what has actually happened in the markets. Uh, focusing on the S&P 500, in the past two weeks, it's up about 9 or you know, 8 to 9%, uh, 4% last week, 5 the week before. So it's been a you know, steady you know, kind of grind higher over that time period. The key drivers for it have really been a, a few factors. One is the increasing expectations of some sort of Fed pivot. And we can get into the semantics of what is a pivot. But the idea is that the Fed is perhaps now at peak hawkishness and it's going to start to dial that back. This follows, you know, a Wall Street Journal article that was on 10 days ago suggesting that, you know, the Fed will raise rates 75 basis points uh, this week, and after that, they'll actively debate whether they should go 50 or 75 in December, and the idea is they kind of step down from there. That narrative was kind of fueled last week by other major central banks. You had the Bank of Canada that hiked rates 50 basis points when expectations were for 75. Uh, and then on Thursday, the ECB did hike 75 basis points as expected, but in the press conference, uh, you know, Christine Lagarde, the ECB president, said, you know, maybe they're getting close or feel comfortable with how much they've done, implying they could, again, moderate their rate of hikes. So that's fueled expectations that perhaps the Fed would do something similar. So you've had this belief in the market about the Fed's, at the minimum, sort of dialing back some expectations. That certainly helped a few things. The other factor is just more technicals and positioning. Uh, sentiment, you know, remains, but certainly, you know, was very, very poor at the start of this month. Uh, positioning was very light. So a lot of investors, particularly the hedge funds, had de-risked quite significantly. And so the issue for them was not so much whether the markets would go down, but whether they would move higher, they would end up chasing the rally. So whenever we had extreme positioning and extreme sentiment on the negative side or the bear side, it tends to lead to at least some sort of bounce. This is exactly what happened in sort of the June, July, August timeframe when sentiment and position was very light. You had investors finally kind of coming back in and buying, and they, they bid markets up. And that's what we've seen this time, where there's been a decent amount of short covering. You have certain systematic strategies that based on market momentum, they're trying to buy again. Uh, you're seeing a very active option market. So investors are sort of buying call options to kind of catch upside, more so than buying put options to go on the downside. So as a result, we've seen markets for the S&P this month kind of gap higher. So on days when the market is up, it's up on an average 2.2%. But on days when it's down, it's down minus 1%. So it's kind of gapping up and grinding lower. That really kind of is synonymous with investors having really light positioning. So you combine those two factors hopes for maybe a little bit dovish Fed pivots um, and these technical tailwind, that's really been sort of the driver for in you know, the recent rally. 
you know, whether it you know, continues or not is going to depend a lot on sort of what happens in the next in a couple of weeks in terms of the Fed meeting, other economic data, and whether we can start to see fundamentals providing additional tailwind or whether it's just a short-term tactical balance at this point in time. So running with the Fed a bit further, Jason, we know their policy course is guided and formed by a range of factors, including, of course, U.S. economic data. Recently, we have received key data prints on September inflation readings, as well as Q3 GDP. How do you feel the Fed is interpreting those data points, and what might that data suggest with respect to the Fed's policy course from here? Well, what is expected is a 75 basis point hike this Wednesday. I think that you can almost carve that into stone at this point in time. It would be a shock if they didn't do that. So the focus is very much going to be what's in the statement and if there are any kind of guidance there in terms of what the Fed intends to do. And then primarily on Jay Powell, his press conference afterwards, to kind of lay out uh, sort of a roadmap for what the Fed might do or the conditions it's looking for to change its policy to kind of bring kind of rates down. So I think that's the number one thing investors want to see some sort of guidance for what is the Fed looking at. Because the Fed has used the language that they need kind of clear and compelling evidence that inflation is moderating for them to kind of step back. Thus far, inflation is still at a very elevated level. And in fact, the core CPI for September, the last inflation data print we have, uh, actually ticked higher and it moved higher to 6.6%, the, the peak in this cycle. So it's hard for the Fed to point to that and say, yes, you know, the inflation criteria is, is being met. So they'd want to see, I think for investors, want to see some sort of indications of what the Fed is looking to do, what, how they're thinking about things. Uh, I think the most likely outcome is that Jay Powell kind of leaves all options on the table, saying we could do 50 or 75 basis points in the server. It really will depend on the data that comes in. Uh, for October that we're going to start to get, you know, in the next couple of weeks, and then also for November that they'll have by the time they meet in December. Um, so I think that's going to be the focus. I think what's the other thing that, that is a little bit different this time versus perhaps the September meeting and during the summer is that in those situations, uh, you know, as the markets rallied, financial conditions overall eased and eased quite a bit, which is all what the Fed has wanted all year. They want financial conditions to tighten. That slows economic growth below trend. That hopefully then kind of cools the economy and bring inflation down. With the rally of the past couple of weeks, we've seen a little bit of moderation of financial conditions, but it's still, current readings are still elevated relative to where we were in the summer, even probably above, by some estimates, where we were in September. So the need for Powell to push back against the, the recent rally is perhaps less today than it would have been, you know, like, you know, six weeks ago. So I think the Fed could be comfortable just sort of meeting market expectations, you know, you know, consistent with the status quo financial conditions, and that may be sufficient. So that, that would suggest, you know, the, the market expectations will be met as opposed to Powell, like he did in September, and the Fed sort of ratcheted up even more than what the market was pricing to further indicate the need to, the willingness to go further. So that may not be the case. Uh, you now, whether just meeting expectations has been interpreted as dovish, you know, more time will tell. Um, but I think that's kind of what we could expect is, is kind of Powell sort of reaffirming what the market has been sort of anticipating just over the past week or so. So, Jason, as you pointed out, in addition to what we've received in recent time, if we look ahead over the next couple of weeks, it will be busy with data releases as well as corporate earnings, all factors the Fed will be analyzing. We do have data coming out with respect to the labor market, further inflation readings, uh, corporate earnings still in full swing for Q3. Can you talk to us a bit about what to expect in these areas and why it matters? Well, I think this week we get other uh, labor market data. So starting tomorrow, we get the jolts job openings. This will be for September. Uh, you might recall that when we got the data in early October for August, it fell, the job openings fell 1.1 million down to a little over 10 million job openings. That was a big unexpected decline. 
uh, exactly what sort of the Fed wants to see is the labor market kind of cooling as, as demand for labor comes down. Current consensus right now is the jolt openings is going to decline 400,000. Uh, for September, that brings it to 9.6 million. The other key labor force data we get is on Friday when we get October non-farm payrolls. Consensus expectations is for 190,000 job openings. Even more important is what happens with wage growth. Um, on a year-over-year basis, average hourly earnings are expected to decline from 5% to 4.7%. Back in March, the peak of average hourly earnings was at 5.6%. So that would imply almost a full percentage point decline in earnings growth, which, again, is critical because wage growth at 5.5% is not sustainable from a Fed perspective in terms of inflation being below 3%. But when you get down to like 4% or a little bit lower, then you're talking about inflation that could be in the 2 to 3% range. So that continued decline is, is important. And it comes on the heels of what we got on Friday, which was the employment cost index for the third quarter. That was a 1.2% quarter over quarter, which was down from 1.3% in the second quarter and one4 in the first quarter. So again, if you get all this data, just that consensus, that's consistent with the labor market cooling. I think this is the really critical data point. Um, it's a positive in terms of kind of the softening. In some way, I'd say it's even more important than the CPI inflation data that we'll get on uh, the following week, you know, Thursday, November 10th. Inflation will still come in very high. Uh, core CPI I mentioned earlier was at 6.6% for September. It may not decline much at all for October. But increasingly, investors are willing to look through a little bit of that, a large part because a key factor that's keeping that inflation high is shelter inflation. It rose 0.8% uh, in September on a month on a basis, which is about 10% annualized. But if you look at real-time measures of house prices, they're now declining on a national average, and even rental measures are, are now kind of back to 2019 levels in terms of new rent growth. All of this means that eventually, at some point next year, the shelter component of inflation is going to decline significantly. We know that. Investors know that. The Fed knows that. So we can kind of look through that, which means the sticky parts of inflation that really matter all come back to what happens with the labor market and wage growth, which is why I think ultimately the labor market data this week is the most critical. Uh, if it ends up beating expectations, meaning it shows even more sort of slowdown than expected, that would probably be even a bigger factor than anything that Powell can say on Wednesday. If it disappoints, meaning the job openings ends up being relatively modest, if it's another really strong labor market report that we got on Friday, that would suggest that that has to do even more because the labor market is not showing any signs of weakness. So while all eyes will be on the Fed, I'd say the key data points from an economic perspective this week are, are the labor market data. And this finally on earnings. We're coming towards the end of the earnings season, but this week we got a lot of companies in the consumer sector. Uh, we could get a sign of real consumer weakness or consumer stability. So I think that's the key thing to watch for this week. It's not just so much the earnings numbers themselves, but what it indicates about the consumer and, and how much they're holding up thus far. There's really a lot here that will, in the near term, influence investor sentiment and market momentum. I'm curious, Jason, how you weigh the very near term outlook based on the recent market momentum versus the medium term and the possibility that the markets have perhaps already hit their bottom. Well, when an object in motion tends to stay in motion, so the market momentum would suggest the markets can continue to kind of grind higher and tighter for the time being. So if we get a sort of favorable FOMC outcome that, you know, the Fed and Jay Powell sort of guides to what the market is sort of expecting, and then you get economic data just over the next two weeks, so it's just in line with consensus. It doesn't necessarily do better, but at least it's in line with expectations. I think that provides the market's scope to continue to kind of, you know, you know move higher, at least in the very near term. The technical tail that I talked about a little bit earlier, you know, in terms of helping the lift the markets, that always has some runway, but eventually that runway runs out. You know, those investors who had de-risked, eventually they will kind of buy what they want to buy. 
and that sort of momentum factor starts to dissipate. We're probably still more to go on this fact on the whole technical story, the positioning story, but I think we maybe have kind of passed a half a point. This is kind of what happened during the summer as well, especially as we move closer into year-end. I think a lot of investors don't want to go into the holiday season with a lot of positions and risk from their books, and they'll be willing to kind of step aside entirely um, and, and then we're kind of restart again next year when the calendar resets, which means I think that, you know, by the time we get you know, mid-November, a little bit later, that momentum should fade. If anything, then by year-end, that technical factor could end up being a headwind as market liquidity really starts to dry up and the market starts to gap down perhaps more than up. Uh, but in terms of a sustainable rally, even if we get data that's sort of consistent with expectations, the reality is we still have a Fed that is going to continue to hike, you know, even after 75 basis points this week. They'll hike very likely at least 50 basis points in December, probably another 25 basis points on February 1st. And the risk is probably more to the upside that they can either continue to hike after that or they do more than I've just sort of outlined. So, uh, and the other thing is the economic data, you know, it should continue to weaken. We're going to see growth get worse. Earnings are likely to continue to kind of suffer. So we think about what are the criteria for market bottom usually need to be at a point where the Fed is done raising rates. Uh, and what's pretty much certain you know what is the terminal rates and what's going to happen after that. And you have to have some sort of conviction that the economic activity decline is sort of troughing. Neither of those conditions look likely to happen until at least uh, the Q1 of next year, uh, which means that you know what we're seeing right now, it feels like the, you know, the upside is more limited. And if anything, we could sort of you know, retest the lows we had just a few weeks ago. So that's kind of, you know, we think about the medium term out like towards the end of next year, still see upside. But if we think of like, you know, the next three months, there could be continued momentum before the possibility of more fundamental headwinds that haven't been fully priced in, start to get priced in uh, by early Q1. So that's interesting, Jason, when you think about the near term outlook versus the medium to longer term outlook. It is a bit of a balancing act with respect to asset allocation, investors having to mitigate short term risk, yet at the same time maintaining an exposure for perhaps improved conditions over the medium to long term. How are you recommending, Jason, that investors approach an asset allocation with all of that in mind? Well, we updated our house view. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, one of the view, the thesis was that at least in the near term, the next kind of three to six months, the risk reward outlook looked like it was skewed to the downside. Now, since then, markets have gone up, which the fundamental picture hasn't really changed. If anything, it's, it's still the same. And if that's the case, well, equities have become more expensive, all else equal, which suggests if the risk reward was skewed to the downside two weeks ago, it's even more skewed to the downside right now, um, especially over the next, we think, kind of three months. Which means, from a portfolio perspective, you need to be kind of prepared for for downside, at least a very near term from here on, uh, meaning like through the next three months. Um, so taking your portfolio and tilting it towards, you know, you know, up in quality asset classes, uh, in more defensive asset classes, more applicable. Looking at capital preservation strategies. So if clients can use put options and other hedging to sort of protect the downside, or structural solutions as well as another way to, you know, kind of hedge against the downside. Given that downside volatility is quite low and actually putting that protection right now is relatively inexpensive. That's not a bad strategy. If that's something you can, you can consider, you know, within fixed income markets, one thing that we did two weeks ago was kind of move up in quality, uh, moving away from riskier corporate credit and moving into higher quality credit, you know, in the very, in the past week or so, you know, in the risk rally, you know, high yield has done reasonably well. But again, the fundamental story suggests those spreads need to widen out. So over the you know, next three, six months, we think that's going to happen. So that's still a good way, especially after the recent move, to, if anything, to kind of further implement that, that positioning. Uh, likewise, 
as rates are starting to we think getting closer to the peak or the Fed is at least kind of kind of getting to the peak of where it's going to be hiking, the upside for rates it starts to kind of get very limited. And if anything, then if you get a recession, there's more downside to rates, meaning now it's not a bad time to increment to add to duration into your portfolio. Going back to equities, you know, the, the sector allocation we have is still is more defensively allocated. It still favors value over growth. Part of the reason we thought that the, uh, you know, in an environment where you still have decent GDP growth and dominant GDP growth, <clears throat> and for the third quarter, it's going to come in over probably 7 or 8%. That's an environment where value stocks typically do better than growth stocks, and that's what we saw last week with mega-cap growth earnings being you know, below expectations and a big downside for at least those largest growth stocks. Uh, and we think that environment hasn't changed. There could be more sort of divergence that would favor value over growth. Um, and then within commodities, we still like oil. We think the prices can go higher, but the rest of the commodity complex looks challenged um, to some extent. And we've seen this just, you know, even today with some of the movement in, in base metal prices that are tied more to China. Um, those are coming under some pressure. So within commodities, you know, oil has upside in sort of plain equities through that is another way to kind of tilt your portfolio to an asset class that looks like the skew um, is to higher for higher oil prices. So that's the overall story. Challenging environment, I think, for the next three months, even though the recent momentum suggests otherwise. But if you're like 12 months out and towards the end of next year, the fundamental story should get better. Um, and in that regards, you want to stay invested if you're looking through the near-term volatility and uncertainty to where we'll be 12 months from now. Jason, appreciate all of the clarity today around drivers behind recent investor sentiment and how to think about positioning for a variety of time horizons. A lot will take place between now and when we next speak, which will be next week. Just thinking about everything we will be receiving this week and how that could perhaps influence market behavior for the short term. I I do want to point out to our listeners quick a couple of items that Jason has been referring to during our conversation today. Jason just authored a blog available now up on UBS.com forward slash CIO. Ties right into our conversation this morning. That title, Laboring Through. There is also the November UBS House View Investment Strategy Guide and Monthly Letter. All resources there available for you now up on UBS.com forward slash CIO. For clients of UBS, you can simply reach out to your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of Jason's blog or the November UBS House View directly. Though, Jason, thank you again for dropping by to kick off the week here on Top of the Morning. Have a great week ahead and looking forward to picking back up with our conversation. You're welcome, Dan. And for those trick-or-treating, hopefully you get more treats in your portfolio than tricks, but be prepared for the latter. (laughs) UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.